Hello? Hey, Rich, it's Larson. You got a minute? Sure, Larson. What's up? Good morning and welcome to the Got A Minute podcast. Uh, it's me, Larson Hicks, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rich Lusk. And uh, we're excited today to have uh, Pastor Matt Patrick with us from the Well Church in Boulder. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt. It's good to have you, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So um, so there's been a big dust up in, in Matt's church out in, in Boulder. They, they've been members of, of Acts 29 for... I think uh, 14 years or so. Is that right, Matt? Uh, not quite that. Our church, um, uh, almost that, yeah. That's close, roughly Somewhere that. in that ballpark. I've been around the network since 2007. We joined the network in 2011. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, so 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 they were, uh, they've got the distinguished honor now of being uh, the second church since Mark Driscoll uh, to, to be kicked out. Um of Acts 29. So, uh, I think that calls for celebration at some level. Um, so, so you guys can be proud of that. Yeah. I, I didn't even write any famous books or have anybody ghostwrite for me or anything. I, we just, uh, <laughs> you know, just get well, food. I, I heard a great story. I wish I could remember the exact details of it, but, but essentially, you know, we, I, I used to live in Idaho, in Moscow, Idaho. And, and during my years there, there was just controversy after controversy. I mean, there was the city coming after the church. There were, you know, people from outside of the community coming after the church. There were just all kinds of crazy things going on. And uh, it just seemed like a constant, you know, a constant uh, struggle. And I think they had lived kind of in obscurity and kind of peace for like 20 years. And all of a sudden things just kind of blew up. But there was a story I heard I think Doug Wilson tell of, of one day, uh, you know, after, uh, some latest slander, um, coming out in some publication that, that, um, that Nancy came home with a bottle of scotch for, for, uh, Doug. And he said, well, what, what's this for? And she said, well, we're, we're celebrating. You, you, you've been reviled again. (laughs) You've been slandered and reviled again. And so we need to, we need to celebrate. Um, so anyway, I, I think, uh, I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Right. Well, so um, I, I want to dive into this and uh, and and we, we kind of just want to hear your story about it. And, and, and my hope here is that, you know, that, that this is an opportunity for us. Uh, you know, Rich and I are in the CREC, which is a, a, a small reformed kind of Presbyterian denomination. Uh, Rich came out of the PCA and, and he was kind of pushed out, um, we'll say. We'll put it that way. Um, but, uh, but so he's kind of had a little bit of experience with this, uh, in a completely different context, but my hope is that, that, that the church can be edified through, you know, hearing your story that people who, uh, who are in Acts 29 or considering, you know, joining Acts 29 or, or considering leaving Acts 29 can kind of learn through, uh, through hearing your experience. And, and so, uh, yeah, I'd love for you just to, to kind of dive in and, and maybe give us. Give us some background here about kind of what happened and how we got to to this point where you guys got kicked out. Yeah, you bet. Well, for for us, I think it's important to say, one, we still at some level hold a, uh, I would say, a a love for Acts 29 in our hearts. It was very important for me uh, early on. I, I was a young pastor. I started far too young. I took over my first church when I was 22. I was a senior in college. Um, 
and that that terrible idea, by the way. Don't ever do that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and but I was just kind of felt like I was lost. I was in a small mountain town. I didn't know where to turn. I I, I mean, I had books and I just was reading a lot, and I didn't know what to do. And finding Acts 29 just kind of found, felt like I found a, a tribe, if you will, a group of people sure. that were reformed. Um, yeah. they, they were good preachers. Like they, they preached yeah. the word fiercely and intensely. And, and I, I loved that. And I was drawn to the masculine characteristics. I even say guys like Mark Driscoll brought that I yeah. thought were great. Um, sure. Obviously, he had some of his problems. and uh, But the, the initial kind of go was this um, very strong, we plant churches, we advance the mission, we charge the gates of hell, all that kind of stuff. And as a young man, it was very attractive to me. And yeah, it's, that still that. is. Uh, and and, and I, I love that about it. And, you know, Acts 29 went through its iterations for sure. The, the big one being when uh, Driscoll was removed and Matt Chandler became the president. Uh, that was a pretty big shakeup. But um and then, and then there were certain things. I remember in 2016, I believe there was a panel that was done where they had like Tabidi and Eric Mason and um, Brandon Washington and all these guys on stage. And it was just kind of one of these things where I was like, where are we going all of a sudden? And mm-hmm. it, it seemed like the narrative wasn't about church planting anymore. It was about race and a lot of mm-hmm. other things. And, and I remember just sitting back thinking, all right, I, I want to trust these guys. I want to be, uh, I want to believe in my leadership and yeah. um, we'll go for it. So our church even took a year and said, okay, maybe we're wrong here. Maybe we're not just seeing it right. We took a year and said, we're going to spend a year and study what does it mean to be a diverse church in our context? So we hmm. did all the listen and learn, right? Not all of it that you can ever do, but we read all the books we were supposed to. Yeah. And once we did that, we kind of arrived at some conclusions. That we're like, I think we disagree with these guys a lot and these messages hmm. were being told. Hmm. And so... That kind of left us in that camp, and we started feeling a little awkward around then. That's when that kind of started. That was uh, when was then, that? What year was that? That was around 2016. Okay. Okay. Wow. It's pretty but early. We were, yeah, and we weren't really pressing on anything. We, that was more yeah. internal. Um, we we really were big believers at the well. Chase, our other pastor, um, we have a co-pastor model, and uh, we really felt led to um, be learners and be curious and and study and, and, and we wanted to make the best decisions for our church and lead as well as we could. And yeah. so, you know, we, we brought in speakers for conferences and tried to do all these things. And, um, and yeah, we just started questioning. Then, uh, when Steve Timmis was removed, uh, that was another kind of big bump in the road. We're like, man, and so now we've gone Driscoll, Timmis, you know, it, it seems like who is Steve Timmis for those who aren't familiar. Yeah. Steve Timmis, it was based out of the UK Okay. And he was, um, that's the funny thing, Acts 29, it's really hard to figure out what people's titles are because they change so much. Yeah. Uh, he was the president. And then at one point, I believe he was the CEO. Okay. And even that title kind of got like, I was just like a little like, that's weird. Why do we have a CEO? <laughs> <laughs> why, do we, why do we have a CEO of a church yeah. planting network? But I was like, I, I guess if they're organizing this global thing, maybe that makes sense, right? Yeah. Still trying to believe. But then when he got ousted, and the timing of that was odd, and I don't know the ins and outs in that. I'm not big enough to know, and I wasn't in some big leadership position. But, you know, it happened right on the heels of a Christianity Today article that came out saying that he had was an abusive leader. Hmm. And all my interactions with him were positive. Um, I have some friends that said some were negative, and so I'm not here to defend or 
or yeah. go against Steve Timmis or anything like that. But it, the whole thing seemed odd. It yeah. was just strange. And so what I think what you saw over time was a slow erosion of trust. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and that came when uh, Chase, particularly our other pastor, pressed on them and said, talked to some leaders and said, hey, what happened here? And they were like, well, you know, he was an abusive leader. And he was like, well, what, what, what does that mean? Hmm. And nobody would really tell us what that meant. Yeah. And it was like, well, was there an investigation of any sort? Right. Like, well, we can't, we're not going to share that with you. And we're like, well, Steve told us we could ask. <laughs> so yeah. he's, he's open to it. So what, what happened? We're not going to tell you that's internal stuff. Okay. Mm. Well, what's abusive leadership? Well, abusive leadership, I believe the words that were used were anybody that uses their position of power against others, essentially is what was said. And we were just like, well, that could be a lot of things. I have definitely yeah. been in a abusive leader that's going to get clipped and put on YouTube somewhere. Matt Patrick admits he's an abusive leader. Uh, Definitely. But it's okay. So, so is Jesus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll roll with him. And, uh, and so that, that was, that was odd, that whole experience. And so all of this is going on 2020 hits and the world goes nuts. And mm. we're in Boulder, Colorado, which isn't, any different than a lot of the Western places, but it's intensely liberal. I mean, our yeah. streets are painted with rainbows and yeah. quite literally. And, uh, you know, to be what would be considered conservative at any level or orthodox in Christianity would be odd. Uh, we always joke about our church. We're trying to be the most normal church in Boulder and it's not that hard. And uh, <laughs> we just want to be the most plain, simple, basic Christian church that loves God and is clear yeah. on its theological convictions. And yeah. that's not a complex thing. There are other great churches in Boulder, by the way. But yeah, uh, but so we're, we're sitting here and we're watching our city shut down and um, BLM in the streets and all of these things just going on. And, and we're looking to our leadership for some answers. What do we do? What, mm -hmm. What's our stance? What, what, what are we saying? Because it seems like we write a position paper or make a statement every time something happens, but we're all of a sudden silent. Yeah. And, you know, I the way I took it was uh, Chase, our other pastor, he's more prolific online than I am. I'm, I'm, I'm he's, he's a great writer. He's written a book and all that stuff. And I'm that's not me. Uh, yeah. I'm more of a face to face. And so over time, the, the kind of conversations with chase online just kind of asking these questions and pressing and writing on his blog and me kind of pressing some leadership and asking hard questions we started to feel as though we were just annoying everybody yeah yeah and we're saying like i remember i posted x29 has like its own private like chat like workplace kind of thing at sure. that time it was run by facebook and I remember I posted just kind of jokingly because I always viewed X29 as a place where you could kind of throw out hard stuff and we could fight like yeah. men. Yeah. And if you disagreed, that's fine. And I just said, does anybody else feel like they're going to completely lose it if they ever have to put a mask on again? Because I wasn't wearing one at that point and our church had regathered. Right. And I mean, I got just slammed on there. Like guys were just wow. coming out of the woodwork just hitting me left and right. Like my wife's a nurse and people are dying and how dare you. And wow. I was like, what is happening to our network here? You know, we can't even, it, it was just overly personal and strange. And the leadership just stayed quiet. Hmm. 
And there was just this kind of infighting that I felt started. And granted, I, I probably threw the first punch by by playing around. Uh, and I, I can yeah. own that. And uh, I didn't know it would go that way. Uh, and then, you know, just pressing on the race issues and what are we doing here? Uh, it just kind of, boom, just that that was, you know, 2020 through now, that was really where it started going pretty uh, haywire, I would say. And, uh, you know, I mean, even we were having network leaders and VPs uh, hitting us up at weird hours of the night because we would write a um, chase, write a critique of Russell Moore at one point. Yeah. And it's basically, how dare you do this? We're like, he's not even in our network. He's a thought yeah. leader. Thought leaders can be challenged. Right. Right. And uh, what, question- what does what does Acts 29 as an organization? How, I'm just curious. You, you've referred to them as your leaders a bunch of times. I mean, how do they how do they think of themselves in relation to the churches? Like I like in in the Anglican church, you have a very clear sort of you know, org chart kind of structure and in the Presbyterian church, it's different, but, but it's still clear. Like we have, we have pastors and elders, we have presbyteries, which are bodies. You have, you know, presiding ministers of these presbyteries and, and, and so the authority structure is pretty well defined. How is that? How does Acts 29 kind of communicate their, like, what is their relationship uh, to individual churches and pastors? Yeah, it's a great question. That was one of the things we started asking around. We started asking for things like the bylaws because we didn't understand mm. what, that exactly. We were curious as to what, what what is our relationship with the network. And so, like in our church, if you become a member, you, sh- you sign a membership covenant. Okay. And after you go through the membership process, you're interviewed yeah. by an elder, all those sorts of things. Right. Um, we're Baptistic. Have you been baptized? Um, these yeah. sorts of things. And uh, in our covenant, it has it, we always say it's kind of a two-way street. It's our commitment to you as a church and your commitment to your local church. Yeah. What we started noticing was Acts 29, it's really just our commitment to Acts 29 financially. Hmm. And a commitment yeah. to be, uh, you know, they would say things were formed. And they're, primarily, they're soteriology. Like, that, that's, that was about where that kind of stopped when we kind of dug into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, they did say for a long time complementarian, and I think they would still say that, but they've removed their position paper on that, oh, which really? that was another speed bump for us. Uh, but then we still had, we had an Acts 29 church with a woman preaching. So we were like, well, that's odd. Uh, mm-hmm. So are we that? And then uh, and then we were like, well, what, what what is your authority? And it's like, well, we really don't exercise any authority over local churches. It, it's more like the SBC where you're autonomous. Um, as long as you participate is what it felt like. Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've heard, uh, one of, we, we do a new members class and, uh, one of the talks, uh, one of the, the topics in the class is what is a denomination, you know, and what, what, what does it mean to be in a denomination versus non-denominational churches? And, uh, Jason Cherry, who's one of our elders, he, he came out of, he used to be a, a, a preacher in Acts 29. Um, and, uh, and he, he defines it as, you know, he's like the word denomination means to name, you know, to, to name. And so a denomination is a, a group of people or a group of churches who are, who are willing to name what it is they believe. Um, and, and a non-denomination church is just a church that is not willing to name what they believe. At least, you know, that's kind of a broad strokes. And so it's not that either church 
or organization doesn't have beliefs. It's just that one group is saying, hey, we're going to put them right out here in the public, where the other is saying, well, we're going to kind of stuff them in the show. That's a generalization. But but yeah. with the network, it sounds like they've been they've been pretty um, it sounds like they've you know, they've had positions, but they've quietly removed those positions. And and they are kind of keeping their cards close to their vest in terms of what it is as a network that they're really committed to theologically. Would that be fair? No, that's fair. And we felt that tension. Uh, I believe it was around 2017. We actually started a thing called the Well Collaborative where we plant churches out of it. Yeah. But in that, what we began to do is we said, you know, the, the truth is in a non-denominational church, the senior pastor or pastors in our case really do run the church. And any sort of authority is kind of imaginary. I, I, I hate that. That was us. And so yeah. I, I feel safe saying that because our elders, as great as they are, you know, they're, they're not here full time and yeah. they're, they're mostly lay guys. And uh, if, if there's a big theological debate that's going to come up or something like that, I mean, Chase is working on his Ph.D. right now. I've got a master's. We're probably going to win that argument, right. even if we're wrong. And so we actually set up our own, we kind of stole from the Presbyterians. We looked at them, we're like, well, I think they probably actually have one of the best structures out there for mm. accountability. And we created, in a sense, our own oversight board um, with external pastors that um, can fire us. And we mm. built that out because we, we felt like we couldn't get that from our network. And we realized cool. that, that I don't think that's what the network ever intended to be. Sure. Uh, th they would say, we plant churches that plant churches. We are a diverse global family of church planting churches. Yeah. And so we're here to plant churches. That's what we're here to do, to help you do that. And so maybe we had some misgivings um, yeah. that isn't necessarily their fault of, about that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, is there is there any sort of commitment to uh, quality churches, like good churches? Would they would they add the adjective like we're here to plant good churches or or just any old church will do? Um, I would say that it must be missionally innovative. It would be the term that they would use. And th that's the thing. A lot of it's ambiguous. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but it, this isn't, you know, this is a broad statement. But what we started noticing, there was a time when they wanted to kind of redo the assessment thing. And Chase and I wrote up a whole entire, hey, here's how we can plant churches. We've been, um, the Lord's blessed us a, a lot in church planting, particularly here in Colorado. Um, we've we're about ready to, to launch out our fifth church that we've launched in total in the wow. state. Um, for, one of them is no longer a church um, that they shut down during COVID and due to a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, we've been fairly successful there. So we're like, hey, we have a lot to offer. And in that process, we kind of realized that it was, you know, we were kind of just planning the same thing over and over again. It was kind of hipster, craft uh, coffee, um, scarves, things that yeah. it, I was, it, it was just a heads up to me. I was like, man, our network's changed. We used to kind of be a bunch of like biker guys. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now, uh, we're, we're not that. And, um, yeah. it, 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 even though we were trying to be this diverse thing, it kind right. of all seemed to be the same kind of, we're really cool is what it yeah. felt like we were trying yeah. to be. And I, I sense the leadership didn't want that, but that's what they were letting in. Yeah. So Matt, yeah, how, how did that happen? Because obviously, you know, Acts 29 is not the only organization that's gone through that kind of transformation in recent years. 
there's been a lot of changes, say, in the SBC. You know, you mentioned sort of the downplaying of complementarianism. I think you've seen that in several denominations where there's kind of this, even in denominations that don't want to fully embrace, say, egalitarianism, um, they're, 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 you could say, maybe moving that direction. Uh, you mentioned, you know, obviously the, 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 the uh, diversity, critical race theory, you know, things like that. Uh, we've seen those kind of things platformed or just infiltrate different denominations. And, I, you know, one thing that I'm interested in, I mean, you know, we're in the Series C. The Series C has, uh, I think, to, to this point, successfully repelled uh, those kinds of movements. I, I haven't seen any CRT or uh, sort of encroaching feminism in the, um, you know, in the Series C, which is not to say that we're immune to those kind of things. And it's not to say we don't have other, you know, issues to deal with, obviously. Uh, but th those are kind of the things that you see in the culture that then are becoming um, I think mirrored in some way in the church. It's always, it's interesting to me, you know, how convenient it is that, you know, uh, Rick Warren changes his mind on women's ordination right about the time yeah. that, uh, the pressure from the feminists in the broader culture is really ratcheting up, you know? Um, and then he says, well, it's not the culture that made me change my mind on this, which I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but I I'm curious, you know, as since you're an insider to this and it might be something that would be helpful uh, you know, even for people who are not in Acts 29, who have to deal with some of the same kinds of trends or influences they, that they see, uh, you know, coming in uh, or, or that they're having to deal with. What, how do you think, how did that change happen? And, and um, you know, is, is there a trajectory here? You know, where is, is Acts 29, where is it headed? You know, does, does, mm -hmm. is, there, is there a destination or an end point? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question. What I would say to that is there was, um, I, 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 let me put it this way. I think Aaron Wren has actually done some great work on the um, kind of three way, um, th three ways of thinking through culture, you know, the positive, the neutral, the negative. I believe Acts 29 made a deep commitment to the neutral worldview. Um, very Keller-esque, which had its time and its day. Absolutely. And it was this kind of thing of we, we won't be culture warriors. We're not going to fight these huge battles and do that sort of thing. And what happened over time is that just kind of took the edge off, right? Like we weren't a serrated, like the goal is to not be the serrated edge anymore, but be a clean cut, be very precise, um, not political, um, not any of these things. And, and over time, what happened was those of us that are in context where it's like, we do not have an option about fighting these things, right? We, we, we must mm -hmm. um, speak on these things, that these are, our, our people are going to work. I mean, in our church, we have an African-American man from Kenya who was fired from his job in Boulder because he didn't want to participate in DEI training, hmm. you know? Because obviously he knows nothing about diversity and needs to be educated. In yeah, exactly. And, and, that's, and that's a member in my church. And he's coming to me saying, what do I do? I just lost my job. Um, so we're, we're saying, hey, th these methods in which you're, you're, you're putting out for us to follow just don't work for us in our context. And th they were relentlessly committed to it. And I think of it as very Ed Stetzer. Russell Moore, uh, that kind of tribe uh, of, of thinking. And so, and it was kind of 
I would say covered in this thing of we're being grown-ups now. We used it when Driscoll ran it. We were kids. We, we, we fought and we used intense language and all of these sorts of things. And now we're going to be more grown-up and we're going to be, um, the way I interpreted it was, we're going to be more like a business uh, that will that will run well and makes good money and is, is just kind of a... a a neutral place for churches to exist. A lot of what we were told was we don't get into orthopraxy or every church has its own contextual thing to figure out. And so if we make a statement really hard on something, then, you know, maybe that won't work for all of the churches. And we were just kind of throwing up our hands going, well, it doesn't work for us (laughs) at all, you know? And so I think that's how it got there was this deep commitment to these things. And, and the beast, 100% 100% straight, th- these things are all connected. I mean, th- there's whether it's the Acts 29 having a partnership with the Gospel Coalition, um, bringing in Russell Moore to be the main speaker at our national conference, uh, and, and a lot of outside kind of networks. And it, it almost seems like it's like, man, it's really hard to keep getting book deals for our main people. It's really hard to keep doing the big conferences and doing these big things if we speak up or if we have a really strong stand. And mm-hmm. so uh, it just kind of degraded into what it is now. Uh, and a lot of guys are very frustrated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for us, the re- people are like, well, why didn't you just quit Acts 29? Yeah. Uh, you know, while we were in Acts 29, we actually went to a CREC Presbytery um, up in Washington. Mm-hmm. just to view it. And it was wild because we had just left uh, the West Conference for Acts 29. And we were there and it's a big conference. And, uh, you know, we had women teaching uh, um, at it. And it was just this big hurrah kind of thing. Um, Brian Howard put on the Acts 29 hat with the thing on and said, it's like putting on your favorite team's hat. Do you support the brand kind of thing? And mm. We just kind of were like, this is really odd. Hmm. This is this whole thing's really strange. And then we go to the CREC Presbytery, and it's just like, open your hymnals to page 454. Start singing. Okay, <laughs> let's fight about a few things. Okay, let's go get some food. I was like, this is great. You know, and then Acts 29 ends with, by the way, you know, we're short on budget. We really need you to give. But the good news is our lead pastors uh, and wives retreat is in Cancun this year. They announced that. And I was just like... What is happening? Yeah. And they announced that after a $2 million budget shortfall. I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? And so... The uh, CRC did its last council meeting in Monroe, Louisiana. Not exactly (laughs) Cancun. The the illustrious, the the tourist trap of Monroe, Louisiana. That's right. Hey, they didn't require masks anywhere. That's right. I, th- that's where I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's it seems. I mean, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying this to try to sound disparaging. I'm. I'm. I'm honestly just trying to kind of wrestle with understanding what Acts 29 is. I mean, it sounds to me like it's a brand. You know, um, essentially, it's a brand that churches pay to put on their on their website um, uh, so that they can they can uh, be more than a non-denominational church. I mean, it sounds like there, there is, especially if you're young, it, it, there's some, there's some training and, and some, you, you talk to you use the term assessment. Um, yes. I assume that's evaluating whether somebody is, 
should be planting a church. I'm curious how rigorous that is. I'm curious. You, you talked about how you planted when you were probably way too young and too immature uh, to do it. You know, it, it's it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it makes me wonder if if there is a incentive for the brand to to keep people out or to shut down pastors who are teaching heresy or are harming their, who are truly harming their, their congregations. I know that Mark Driscoll was harming the brand, um, uh, perhaps. Um, but, but it seems like that's more what's going on that it's, it's a, it's a brand that is trying to maintain their, you know, they're collecting high profile, kind of big Eva names to associate with their brand so that the brand itself has more cachet. Um, and, and the actual work of, you know, discipling individuals, you know, and, and, and the, and the training of, and the disciplining of the pastors and holding accountable of the pastors that are doing that work is sort of, uh, is not really, that's not really part of the mission. It seems like of, of the organization almost. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, to, to put the logo on your website used to really mean something. Hmm. It it, uh, it it helped our church grow. Yeah, it, it really did early early on. Um, I don't think anybody cares anymore or really knows. It's kind yeah. of faded into a little bit more obscurity. <laughs> for better yeah. for worse, Driscoll did something out there, and uh, and yeah. and in, in a city like ours where people live here on an average three and a half years. It's also a lot of people mm. moving in. And so that website, to be able to go to it and look up a church and go, I'm going to get solid preaching. Uh, I'm going to be able to, I know mm. it's reformed. I know it's complementarian. Uh, it's going to be somewhat similar to what I was in before. Yeah. That, that used to matter. Uh, I don't think that matters nearly as much anymore. The mm. assessment process has gone through many iterations. I don't know what it's like um, in depth now. I actually was part of an assessment team and removed myself from participating in it because I thought it was too vague. Hmm. It, it, was, it was a weekend we'd spend with a husband and a wife. And the metrics we were using really just seemed to be kind of more up to the assessors that were there than this is what we're truly looking for. Hmm. Now, I, I know actually I'd say, hey, we give you like a, a form that you go through, but it could very much be like, well, I don't like this guy or I do like this guy. You know, that's hmm. kind of what it felt like. And I was just like, man, this is really hard to get a feel on this man, his theology, his uh, missional posture towards culture, uh, how he's going to implement um, anything, you know, uh, what, what, what his plan is to plant a church and care for people and shepherd them. It's really hard to get through it in just a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I think they're trying their best in that area. But that's why I, we, when we started the Well Collaborative, we, we have our own assessment process, which it takes people about a year to two years to get through. Hmm. And by that time, we have a pretty good feeling of who they are. And then yeah, we, sure. we'd put them through assessment in Acts 29, and they would show up and they would pass because we'd basically be able to say, this guy's good to go. So yeah. we kind of created our own thing because we felt a lack there of, hmm. of that. When Acts 29 started, I mean, we never received funds from Acts 29. Yeah. They, they do have a funding arm now, uh, and I believe you can get twenty five thousand dollars once you get to forty people, and another twenty five once you get to fifty. 
I think there's something interesting in there. I'm not 100% sure on it, so I won't really bring it up on paying it back, but um, it, it, it's interesting for, for that. So they've added that funding kind of arm as of late to uh, churches that do kind of get some traction. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, th- I think, you know, just from the sake of you know, kind of the, the goal I, I, I sort of talked about at the top of the call of, of having this be edifying, I mean, I think two, two interesting um, areas to discuss are, are A, kind of where do you see the trajectory of Acts 29? Um, and, and B, um, you know, well, there's maybe three questions and we can kind of tackle these in whatever order you want. But, but what, what's the trajectory of Acts 29 currently as you see it? Um, what, what should, um, have, have you seen people, you guys were kicked out. Have you seen others who have handled their concerns, um, deal with it in a way that's been more, um, productive, you know, or, or healthier? I mean, like, do you, do you see a path forward there? Um, so I'll stop there. Those are two questions I think would be helpful to kind of dive, dive a little deeper into. Yeah. Yeah, to set that up for us, we stayed because we thought we could reform the network a little bit. Mm, yeah, and and we'd already invested over a hundred thousand dollars in the network, yeah. and we'd given to it. And yeah, we have. I still have great relationships. I'm in a text group with a bunch of Axiom pastors. That's that's way too busy. I actually had to put it like on the silent mode, and I only check it once a day. You know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it's sad though to see uh, that group. I think there's only one or two guys left in it who are still in the network who most of them have left. Interesting. Yeah. And over time, what's happening is guys, because they're not getting answers, uh, we started pressing around things like, can we see a budget? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And can we see the bylaws? The answer was no. Those are Mm -hmm. private internal documents, which is a silly move because that's a publicly listed thing that you can find on the state of California's website. Uh, So we just found it and, here you go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so guys have been leaving. Uh, Corm Deo up in the Northwest, led by John Needham, he left and he wrote a very good letter that he publicly put out. Um, and so Justin Buzzard in, uh, in, in California, he yeah. left recently. He posted a letter as well. Um, we wrote a letter on our website. It was a little shorter and more succinct than those ones. But guys are, are, are starting to press and, and they want some answers into these things. And in mm. and, and Acts 29, they we signed up for it, what it is. And what it is, is it is a governing body, in a sense, that can do what it wants. Um, it can appoint who it wants to the board. It can remove who it wants from the board. It can um, remove churches unilaterally like they did with us. Yeah, and And so... Um, my encouragement for guys is if, if you want to be part of something like that, you just need to make up your mind and knowing that that's what you're going to be part of. Yeah. Um, as far as the future, I think it would pre- be presumptuous to say that Acts 29 won't survive. Yeah. I, I think that that would be taking it too far, but I think it's going to look very different going into the future than it, than it has been in the past. I, 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 a lot of churches are leaving. I know many are giving this year kind of a, mm. a runway to go, Let's see what happens. Yeah, kind of thing because same reasons as us that they, they love the network and they want to they want it yeah. to they want it to go. But um, I, I know of lots of men. There's a whole entire chunk of Texas recently that has left the network, and uh, I'm fielding 
I, I don't think I'd be exaggerating to say 20 to 40 phone calls or emails a month from A29 guys asking what they should do. Hmm. Wow. And, and so that, that's concerning. That was happening when we were still in the network. And just to be very clear, we encourage guys not to quit at that time. Yeah. What we said, stay, what we're working on. We even hosted our own event at an X29 event full of disgruntled A29 pastors and encourage them that like, hey, these are hard times. We fight. We're not quitters. Uh, since then, you know, being kicked out, it, it's hard for me to encourage guys to stay in the network uh, with yeah. the leadership in the direction that it's going. The uh, the lack of transparency that you described there, it seems to me, would, would be a, a red flag for any organization. Yeah. But especially a Christian denomination where you would expect everything to be above board. Uh, you would expect accountability, uh, and, and it doesn't sound like any of that has really been in place. Um, so th that's obviously a problem. It seems to me, though, that the um, you know what really led to the friction um, with you guys, uh, from from what I've gathered, and and I'm not I'm not familiar with these other pastors you mentioned that have left, but um, <clears throat> sounds like just the the overall direction of Acts 29 um, towards wokeness progressivism, you know, whatever, whatever label you want to put on it, uh, seems like that's the direction it's going, which again is, is, uh, you know, you've seen the, the, the same kinds of influences make inroads in other, uh, denominations and Christian organizations. Um, you know, you mentioned the connection with the gospel coalition. I mean, that's another where you can kind of trace out the shift. You can kind of see the shift that's taken place in gospel coalition over the years. Um, so, I mean, any, any lessons specifically from that, just what you've observed? You made, you made reference to Aaron Wren's um, assessment of how we have moved from positive world where it was a benefit socially and culturally to be a Christian at an earlier point in American history to neutral world where it really didn't matter that much one way or the other to now negative world where in a lot of our country, uh, and, and certainly where, where you are, you know, maybe you could say most of the country, it's actually a, a negative to be a Christian. It's going to get you labeled as a, as a bigot or a hater or, or, you know, whatever other label they want to put on you. And, and often this has to do with our stance on uh, sexual ethics, you know, or, or other things related to that. Um, you guys are out of the network now. What, what lessons are you walking away with? Yeah. The main lesson that I would say is this, is history is important. And this mm. is why I think denominations can be good things, is they have a historicity to them. They're tied to something that is, they're tied to a creed, or they're tied mm. to a confession, right? And, and these things really do matter, and they guide the governing practices of the organization. Uh, we're not yeah. just making it up as we go. Yeah. So, you know, for our church, taking our elders through the London Baptist Confession and considering adopting it. And so I'm thankful to Acts 29 for that, that it's forced us to uh, kind of repent of our genericness, if you will, hmm. and, and, and go, we need to be clear uh, yeah. here. And I would encourage church planters to really think through these things. What, what do you want to be part of and, yeah. and why? What is the motivation there? Uh, right. Is it financial? Is it um, brotherhood? Is it um, 
or, or is it, hey, these are men I can lock arms with and we can plant churches that we know survive the cultural waves that come with us and will hold us accountable to those things. Those things have become more and more important to us. And the combination of what happened with us in Acts 29 and what's happening culturally has, I think it's forcing a lot of churches to really think about that. Because if, if you're just going to roll with whatever comes your way, you're just going to get swallowed up. There is no winning here if, if you just kind of roll with the culture because they'll come after you. I mean, we just saw that with the Gospel Coalition, and I believe it was Josh Butler's article, um, and he wrote his book, and how he got canceled by the by the Gospel Coalition and the Keller Institute um, over... I mean, it was a weird article, right? Like, it, the wording was goofy. The premise was fine, I guess, you know, like that kind of thing. But to watch those men abandon that guy so quickly... Mm. Uh, I, I want nothing to do with anything like that. I want men that are loyal first to King Jesus and and then understand what it means to support a brother. Um, I mean, somebody should hold a gospel coalition accountable to that, right? Like you need better editors, right? <laughs> like right, a better right. editor yeah. that was doing that there what would be helpful. And so I, I see that kind of culture in Acts 29 where it's like we have to remove guys that could be problematic for us instead of working with them, mm-hmm. correcting them, rebuking them, so yeah. on and so forth. Well, and that, the, the, the Josh Butler thing was interesting. I actually didn't even get to read the article. It got taken down so fast. But then, of course, I kind of saw in the aftermath and some comments about it, some excerpts of it. And, yeah, there was definitely some uh, very poorly chosen wording. <laughs> he would probably be the first to admit that. Uh, some of the language not so great. But the concept itself of sex as an icon of the relationship of Christ and the church, I think that's what he was getting at as best I could make out from what I yeah. uh, what I did read. Uh, that that is uh, that's something that Christians have believed, you know, for uh, you know as as far back as you can go. And uh, you know, marriage obviously created as an icon of Christ and the church, but the sexual relationship, the the sexual oneness, that's the the heart of marriage, is really the pinnacle of that symbolism uh, of Christ's union with the church. So um, the the gospel has a you know there's a kind of sexual symbolism. Uh, of the gospel implied and all that, and I, I get I get the sense again without having read the article that's what he was getting at, but it was interesting. It seems like the article offended some women, and that's what kind of then it just cascaded from there to you know this guy's got to be completely canceled and he's you know he's immediately off of the uh, whatever the the Keller Center for Culture whatever that, that that that's called you know he just he just gets he gets the axe completely and obviously that 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 to me seemed like it was very unfair to him. I know next to nothing about him, but that to me seemed very uh, unfair. But I think it's representative of the larger problem that really you're, you're getting at, Matt, and maybe that you've experienced with Gospel Coalition and that we've seen happen, and that is simply a failure of nerve on the part of um, Christian mm-hmm. men, uh, particularly Christian pastors, uh, just a failure of nerve, uh, a kind of cowardice, an unwillingness to stand up, to take heat for something, to... Uh, hold ground uh, to defend our own uh, to and, and even to defend truth when it's under attack. Um, you know, it, why not? Why not say, "Hey, Josh, go rewrite your article, and let's try it back out there." You know, why, why not? Why not? Why not continue to work with him and uh, and all that? Why cancel him just because the mob demands it? Uh, to me, that was a huge mistake. And basically, when you do that, what you do is you you show people, look. 
you can have your way with us. You can get us to do anything you want us to do. All you have to do is push back hard enough. You know, if you yeah. demand an apology or you demand somebody get canceled, we're going to cave and do it because we don't have the guts to stand up to you. And I kind of get the sense that that's what happened there. And, and of course, that's happened in other cases, too. But that, I mean, again, from my vantage point, without knowing all the facts, um, from what I could see, that's what it looked like. And, of course, that's very, very scary. Um, you know, you do need a band of brothers that you know will stand with you, men of courage and conviction who are not going to run, you know, the first time a shot is fired. Uh, so um, it looks to me like Acts 29 can't be counted on that kind of, you know, for that any more than the Gospel Coalition can be. Yeah. That's what it looks like to me. And, and I would just add to that, that the process that you find, whether it be in something like the CREC or in some Presbyterian denominations, um, I'd like to say as a Baptist myself, some Baptist denominations as well, uh, this, there's a process for removal. Yeah. There, there, there's a way that it's done, and you can know what it is. And I'm not claiming victimhood here. We knew what we were doing the whole time, right? right. Like what we were pressing. So that don't hear me saying like, woe is us. This terrible thing happened to us. Uh, at the end yeah. of the day, it saves us money, and we get to invest it more in our church planting efforts here. You know, so um, I, I'm saddened by the loss of relationship, but that's kind of where yeah. that ends. I'm not losing sleep or anything like that, yeah. but the process that's there. And, and you see this where, uh, you know, for us, when we got our call, you know, we were given one hour um, to hop on a Zoom call and we get on and it's just, hey, because you have uh, publicly crit critiqued the network, uh, we are unilaterally removing you effective immediately. Those were like the first lines of the phone call. And we're just like, well, what did we do? And they're like, well, you constant public critique. And, and that just wasn't true. Mm. And we, we did not public. We were very intentional to not do that. We had a lot of internal dialogue with a lot of men. We brought up our concerns. We did not post stuff publicly. And, and when we asked repeatedly for proof, it was just like, you just did it. And we're like, did what? And they're like, well, you know what you did. I'm like, no, tell me, did we sin? No, you did not sin. Um, at one point in the call, um, one of the VPs on the call said, you guys aren't evil, you're not satanic, and you didn't sin. And I said, well, thanks for that. Uh, but what did we do? Yeah. And eventually it's like, well, you're not just, a, you're just not a good fit. Yeah. And that's fair. People cannot be a good fit for things, but yeah. there should be conversations around that leading to that and saying, yeah. hey, th this is the process for it. So when I think of networks or denominations, what what is the process yeah. for somebody to be a put into a leadership position or B to be removed. What, what does that even look like? Those are answers that I think guys should have. And my encouragement to X 29 would be to clarify that process going forward, or yeah. they're going to have a lot of hurt guys who are very confused as to how things happen and, right. and, and why they're being well, removed. Even in a, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a CEO of a company and, and just from a corporate legal human resources standpoint, you know, I, I can't, I can't just fire somebody, you know, I mean, I, I, I can, uh, and I'm in Alabama, which is a right to work state. So it's, it's, it's easier for me to fire somebody, but, but even just from a bare sort of legal standpoint, um, you really need to communicate and document that you have communicated a concern and that you've given the employee an opportunity to, to fix the issue. Um, and there needs to typically be a, a 
a documented recurring pattern of failure to meet, you know, expectations before you can, you can fire somebody. And in, in a lot of places, if you don't do that, you are, you are liable for a, a big fat lawsuit. Uh, my, my company has been involved in these kinds of lawsuits. Um, so, so, I mean, you know, of course there's Matthew 18, you know, which as Christians, you know, we've, Christ has given us a pattern for how we deal with sin. And, and, uh, and I think the principles can be applied to, to even non-sin, to disagreements and, and problems. But, um, but the world, you know, the corporate world even understands this. Uh, I wonder if, you know, um, it, it would be very sad to see uh, any lawsuits come out of this kind of thing. But, but, you know, I mean, that, that certainly seems like something they could leave. If, if, if having the brand of Acts 29 on your church really is important for driving, you know, membership and has a real financial implication on your church, I mean, what, what's to stop a church that gets kicked out from, from suing, you know, and saying, hey, this is wrongful termination, essentially? Yeah, I believe that I, I could be wrong, but I believe their bylaws do state that they can do that. Yeah, um, and you sign up for that. They are incorporated as a church, Acts twenty nine, um, which is actually, as a businessman myself, I own some businesses. Actually, a pretty savvy move, in the sense yeah. that you get left alone on a lot yeah. of things when you're yeah. incorporated as a church. That they're not a five. They're not just a, a standard five hundred one c three nonprofit. That they're they're incorporated as a church, and so that gives them some flexibility in what they can do. Interesting. Matt, you, you talked about in the early days when you were attracted to Acts 29 that, that, that part of it was reformed, complementarian, masculine in the sense that you've got guys like Mark Driscoll who are willing to engage with the culture and not pull any punches. That was sort of – that was the brand at the time that you were intrigued and drawn to it. Um, and we've ta- you've talked about how you started getting these this like CRT training back in 2016 and and things that were that, that's definitely sounded like it was leading in a different direction. Um, I saw um, my, my own, you know, it's interesting. We planted this church here in Huntsville uh, less than three years ago. And and prior to uh, the CRC, I actually went to an Acts 29 church locally and said, hey, we're we're trying to plant this church. We're looking for accountability. We're looking for su- support, not financially, just biblical accountability and support from other churches locally. We want this to be a, f- a work of the Huntsville Church. Would you guys consider, you know, partnering with us? Um, and uh, they said, "Well, lay out your distinctives." And so I sat down in an office with a bunch of Acts twenty nine leaders and laid out the distinctives and. Um, and they didn't really like them. Um, uh, the the specific, you know, they were concerned that I didn't talk enough about evangelism, uh, which I explained. Um, and then, um, and then there was one line of questioning where where I I was just talking about things that could happen as a church. And one of the comments I made was, I could see us having a deacons fund. I talked about one of our distinctives is keeping our kids. Like we're seeing in the mm-hmm. culture that our kids are, that a lot of churches are doing a great job of converting people, but, but there's just as many going out the back door as there are coming in the front door, uh, in the form of churches of kids leaving the faith. And in the South, every single atheist I've ever met in the South grew up in the church. So I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of saying, Hey, this is a, 
deficiency I see in the local church. I want to focus on discipling our kids and, and keeping our kids in the faith. And I said, I could see one example of how we do that uh, being that we have like a deacon's fund for, let's say, a single mom who wants to put her kids and needs to work, but wants to put her kids in a Christian school. We'd love to help support that that mom. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys in the room was like, what, like, like upset by that comment. He just said, mm-hmm. well, I, I don't even know what to do with that comment. Like, what are you saying? You're saying that that Christians kids should be in Christian schools uh, and, and what's wrong with public school? Um, and I was like, oh, is this a controversial, like, what do you, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, I saw that, I saw that recently Jen Wilkin, who I know is like pretty prominent in the Acts 29 world, that she's out there talking about the benefits of putting your kids in public school. Does that, does that say anything about the trajectory, you know, of, of where Acts 29 is going as opposed to where it was when you first when you first kind of came to it? I think that's probably been there the whole time. And to, to be fair, I probably thought that way for a long time myself. Yeah. yeah. And what I've realized over time is I, I so for, for full disclosure, uh, two of my children are still currently in a school here in Boulder. It's a yeah. charter school and my sister is a teacher at it and we're best friends with all the teachers. And so and it's a yeah. block from our house and we know, but you know, I, I met with the principal one time and I even said, listen, like I need to know what's going on here. I'm pulling my kids, you know? And they're like, no, yeah. we're not doing that kind of thing. And, and I said, yeah, cause I, I want my kids to be in the world a little bit, but I'm not going to sacrifice them to the God of mission, you yeah. know, so, so that you can experiment with some weird, you know, DEI stuff or transgender stuff. And, and, and so I think I was there, um, I'm since then we're moving our kids out of all of these systems, you know? And so for us, I, I would say that like, when I look at the network, I, I think that that's its posture is it's, it's evangelism, 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 which I love evangelism. I, I think I have that gifting, um, as I, I yeah. hope most Christians do, uh, yeah. but it's almost to the detriment of the church and, and, and how we think. And, and that's the danger in Acts 29 is that my people, because I supported things like Jen Wilkin and the Gospel Coalition and books written by guys in A29, they're taking that information. And then when we say in our church, hey, we think this is wrong. Yeah. They go, no, but these big Eva guys say this is right. Right. And that's the real right. danger. And so I think what churches are seeing, the reason that matters is, Churches that are kind of waking up, you know, that they've kind of entered the matrix and they can kind of see it, you know, for what it is. Yeah. yeah. Now they're having these internal wars with their own people as they're going, this is bad. And they're looking at their network and their network is supporting the things that's making their life hell in their church right. as they're fighting against it. And that's a big right. issue. And the family's a huge one. Uh, I, I don't know how you could send your child currently to a school that like uh, Boulder Valley Public Schools has the gender unicorn that comes in and teaches wow. kids how to pick their gender in elementary school. Unreal. Like, I, I, I don't know how what we can we can go. I can't believe you'd want to put your kid in a Christian school. And I'm like, mm. I can't believe that you would be OK with that. I, I don't yeah. understand. And yeah. so I think that that's a real uh, seismic shift that's happening within the network where guys yeah. are coming awake to that. But some of them are so committed and it's sad to, to this 
um, missional in everything, you know, you'll hear him talk about it. It's like, if I went to a foreign country, I would dress like the people and eat their food. I'm like, yeah, but you also wouldn't like submit your kids to being trained in whatever witchcraft was going on in the society. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, <laughs> like, sacrifice. It's like we're, we're witnessing to the, the pagan, you know, the pagans who offer their kids up to idols. Like, well, yeah, we'll just do that too. Yeah. yeah. There, you know, that, that is where it really takes discernment to know, um, yeah. you know, where, where, where should those lines be drawn? What kinds of things in the culture can we participate in and what kind of things must we distance ourselves from? Because for, you know, in a Christian in any cultural context, it's always going to be both. But, you know, I, I have, I have reasons for favoring, uh, Christian education that go way beyond just you know, the gender unicorn, you know, being used at the public school. Um, one, one thing that struck me, and I, I've not listened to the whole debate that Jen Wilkin had with, um, was it John Pennington? Is that who did it? Jonathan Pennington was the so. debate partner, I think. Um, Sounds right. I, you know, it, it was interesting to me. I, you know, her her approach to that question was all about the community. And obviously, you know, Jeremiah 29, I mean, we should seek the good of the city where we live. Um, I think the best way to do that is not to send your kids to public school, but to produce faithful Christian kids who grow into mature Christian adults who can, uh, you know, serve God, serve neighbor, serve the kingdom of God that way. And, uh, you know, for me, like if, if you if you ask, okay, what's the best way to get there? Public school's not it. Uh, but what was interesting to me is that her focus was entirely on the good of the community. And, and again, I've not listened to every minute of the, of the debate yet. I still need to finish it. But uh, I did not see her interact at all with those passages in the Bible that actually talk about parents and their obligations, their responsibilities to their children. Mm-hmm. So she talked mm-hmm. about her responsibility to the wider community, you know, Jeremiah 29 kind of thing, but did not talk about those passages like, say, Deuteronomy 6 or Ephesians 6 that talk specifically about parents' responsibility to disciple their children and to disciple their children comprehensively. So there was no right. sense in which she, you know, uh, seems to understand that religion, that, that, that all education is inherently and intrinsically religious in nature. And if Jesus is not the Lord of the curriculum, if Jesus is not the Lord of the classroom, then some other idol is being served there. And if students become like their teachers, then that raises a lot of questions. Again, I, 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 and I, I think the other aspect of her argument was kind of a pragmatic one. Basically, it worked for my kids. You know, my kids got a great education. Uh, and, and there was that element to it. And I, I don't doubt that that's true. I mean, she probably lives in a pretty wealthy and fairly conservative school district where the education probably is pretty good and where right. some of the worst stuff is probably not present. But I think that still misses the point of the argument for Christian education. Uh, it just doesn't deal with what those passages like Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6 tell parents to do with their children. So, th- th- and, and that to me is... is is going to become a more pressing issue. It seems to me that a lot of people are still thinking in kind of new positive world or neutral world terms about that kind of question. Oh, the public schools are our schools. And, you know, so our, you know, our kids can go there and, and we can sort of all ban, you know, even though we've got this sort of, um, you know, pluralistic or we might say polytheistic society, you know, we can all have our kids educated together. Well, no, there is a God. There is a God at work there. There's a God that's being honored. It's just not the God of, of, of the Bible that's being honored mm-hmm. there. That's one thing that stands out to me. And and when, one issue that I think Christians are going to have to make decisions about, you know, we, we're in the Series C. We've emphasized Christian education for a long time. Uh, and again, totally apart from, you know, things like 
you know, gender identity, gender ideology being taught in the schools, totally apart from that, uh, long before that arose. But I think now that those kind of things are happening, you're going to have more and more Christians who do have to rethink their relationship to the public school and in doing so will really be rethinking their relationship to the wider culture. And they're going to realize they're, they're going to have to come to the realization that the culture at large is much more antagonistic to me and to my faith. And so I need to brace myself for that. I need to be ready for impact. You cannot uh, be engaged in this culture as a Christian today without being on a collision course in all kinds of ways with what's happening. Mm. And a lot of Christians are just not ready for that kind of that kind of crash into the culture, you know, that kind of head on collision. Um, one other thing, and this kind of backtracks in our discussion, but this this stood out to me, and I know we're kind of getting to the end of our time here, but, um, you know, Matt, it sounds like you need to go start an Acts 30 network. Is that what's next? Acts 30? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's interesting to me. I mean, a lot of these yeah, questions kind of, kind of come down to um, how the church should be organized how churches should be planted. And I, I get the desire to create, I mean, I would consider something like Acts 29 mm-hmm. to basically be sort of a parachurch model. That you, I know legally they, they sort of have represented themselves as exactly. a church, but it seems to be really more of a parachurch model. Yeah. And it was done largely for reasons of efficiency. Uh, they don't have to deal with any red tape that you might have in a denomination. Uh, they really don't have to deal with a lot of accountability. Right. They have to be very transparent about a lot of things. Uh, they can collect funds and disperse those funds as they see fit. And if people start to ask really hard questions like you guys were doing about direction, trajectory, and so forth, then they can just kick you out, you know, basically without any kind of recourse. It doesn't sound like there's any kind of court of appeals or anything like that. I mean, the kind of things that you would have in a more, uh, you know, say traditional Presbyterian or just most any polity would have some kind of uh, recourse in terms of appeals, you know, an appeals process or something like that, that it seems like you don't have. But, um, I, I, so there's two there's two things that I think stand out to me, and these are things that are good, you know, Larson for us in the Series C, good for us to think about, and I think uh, any Christians who are interested in uh, church planting or who are asking, you know, I want to, you know, what what church should I be a part of, what denomination, uh, you know, should I be a part of? A couple things. One is polity does matter, with and and tradition matters when it comes to polity. Obviously, I would say scripture gives us the basic outline, kind of the skeletal structure of a polity. You know, we see that there are, for example, pastors, elders, and deacons. We see that there are to be, um, you know, presbyteries and councils, um, you know, above the local church. We we see a number of of things in scripture uh, where you could say God's given us the basic outline of a polity. We still got to fill it in. We've got to put flesh on those bones, but the skeleton of it is there in scripture. And it goes back to the old covenant. I actually just preached on Exodus 18 this last week, and I talked about Jethro the Presbyterian, you know, because I think that's, I think, (laughs) I won't say that Jethro invented Presbyterianism in in Exodus 18, but that's basically what you're getting. Um, You Presbyterians are so committed to being Presbyterians. I love it. We are absolutely committed to it. (laughs) Uh, But uh, what, what I tell people, you know, I think some people think that, it, that, that you know, church government, it's so, it's so mundane to talk about these kind of matters. Does it really matter how we set things up? I tell people, look, when you hold in your hands a, you know, say a Presbyterian book of church order, you're holding in your hands the wisdom of the generations. You're holding in your mm-hmm. hands the fruit of generations of struggle uh, and, and, uh, and trial and error that produced that book of church order that you're holding in your hand because, you know, 
to me, I think what happens with a lot of in, in a lot of situations, and Acts twenty nine is a good example of this, and 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 sometimes I think you can see this in the series. See, there's an attempt to reinvent the wheel, and well, yeah. we we know better. We can we can start from scratch and come up with something better. And you realize, really, you can't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I, I joke that you know Presbyterianism is the worst form of church government there is, except for all the others. Um, <laughs> And I think that's true. I mean, it, you know, it's never going to be implemented perfectly, but I think the principles that are there are biblical, and I think they're significant. I think they're significant. I think they're helpful. Uh, I, you know, I think it's. I think your what happened with you is a good example of how things can go wrong when there's not a uh, a, a, a um, biblically shaped, and I would even say um, shaped by tradition. Uh, polity in place, you know, to deal with with conflict when when it arises. So that's one thing. But then the other thing is, even if you had a perfect church constitution, even if you had a a divinely inspired book of church order, it is not going to do you any good unless the men who implement that system are godly men. So the polity on the page does matter. The character of the men implementing it matters even more. Both of those things are important, and I think, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, they, they, they stand or fall together. Um, I can imagine situations where maybe you have godly men who have a very imperfect system, and because of their, because they're so godly, it kind of covers for the flaws within the system. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, th- those things ought to go together. Godly men with a biblical system of government, that, that's your best bet for denominational longevity. Um, and, and, and for avoiding unnecessary conflicts, being able to resolve conflict when it does happen, uh, and all of that really does matter. It's so easy mm-hmm. for us sometimes in our rush to plant churches or start something new uh, or, or to, in a, in a good way, want to uh, further, say, the, the mission of, of, of the church at large, uh, to rush ahead with these things and leave behind polity, and in some cases even leave behind the importance of character. I mean, the one thing you see uh, very clearly spelled out, and this is in Exodus 18, you know, Jethro doesn't just give Moses a system of polity, you know, basically a book of church order. He also gives to Moses the criteria or the qualifications that men must meet in order to be officers within that system. And again, both matter. It's got to be both. And when there's a breakdown in one or the other, it can really lead to disaster. Yeah. Mm. It's good. Yeah, I, th- I think another way to another thing to say that's important is, <clears throat> you know, the the church is a divine institution, you know, um, and it will, uh, and the gates of hell w- will not prevail against her. But but denominations are human institutions, and um, and they will fail. You know, they will ultimately fail. And you know, so we so we love we Presbyterians love our Presbyterian polity. Uh, we CREC guys are, are you know, uh, all about, we're excited about where we're at, but, but we know that, um, that they're not infallible and, uh, they're susceptible because, because they're, um, made up of humans and, and established by humans that they're, they're prone to the same weakness that we all are. Um, and, uh, and when they, and, and when they fail, uh, we hope that godly men, um, will will walk away from them. You know, we'll either fight and go down with the ship fighting uh, to to preserve them, um, or, or we'll we'll know when it is to to abandon them and walk away uh, and, yeah, and let them burn. I, I think that's right. And so, you know, I, again, what we're seeing and what we've seen for a long time now is all of these 
uh, Christian denominations and Christian institutions, because it's not, it's not just the denominations, it's not just the churches. We've seen it with Christian schools, we've seen it with Christian colleges and universities, we've seen it with parachurch ministries. They get hijacked by some, um, you know, um, anti-biblical movement, which often parades itself uh, as being compassionate or just or winsome or what have you, uh, but, it's, but it's, it's contrary to the scriptures. But still, the institution gets hijacked. And so, again, yeah. I think it, it, it comes back to having men who are willing to stand their ground, who are willing to be courageous, uh, who are willing to speak for truth, and, 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 and quite honestly, um, carry out the right kind of discipline. You know, now, you know, Matt, in your case, you're, you're on the wrong end of this. Uh, and, and I think it's really unfortunate. And I think it really, um, it does not bode well for the future of X-29. I mean, you know, I would just say that when an organization like X-29 starts to uh, kick out good men like yourself, uh, th- that's a sign that things are really headed in the wrong direction. Um, but the flip side of that is that when organizations or institutions or denominations don't deal with snakes in the garden uh, or wolves that have gotten into the sheep pen, then that's a real problem. Okay. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's got to be, you know, there's got to be that disciplinary process too. Yeah, and I think for, for us, and when I say us, I mean our elders at our church, uh, Chase and I, you know, a lot of guys have been like, man, you and Chase seem like you've been on several podcasts and you've, and you've, uh, been outspoken. And I think we have, and, but not as much as we could, we tried to be discerning, but it's, the yeah. question is why. And at the end of the phone call, when we were removed, I, I told those men on the call, I said, what you've done here today is wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, I believe it to be sinful. And this isn't good. And, and, and I said, I, I'm still trying to honor you as Christian men. And I, I said, what should I say? And they said, say whatever you want and tell whoever you want. And I said, well, then I will, because I think this is wrong and I don't want other men to experience this or um, be harmed. And again, no, no, no victim. We understood what we were doing. And, yeah. uh, and, and a guy who was a prominent leader in the network called me up at the end when I was trying to discern, I was praying through what do I do with this? Do I just go on my own way? You know, like you could just kind of go, I'm going to take the high road and I'm just going to work on my local church and not talk about these things and yeah. just focus at home. That that would be easier. Right. And, and I was talking with him and he said, uh, he's, he's one of the smartest guys I know. And he, he had a nowhere on the phone call goes, Matt, do you know how the French revolution ended? And I said, I have no idea, man. And uh, he goes, well, for a long time, when people were being led to the guillotine, they were, they were quiet. They took the high road. They took their mm-hmm. punishment. And they thought that that would change things, that that would make it better. But it wasn't until they decided to start screaming and yelling what was wrong as they were led to the guillotine that people started looking around going, oh, this is bad. We shouldn't yeah. be doing this. And yeah. I said, so what are you saying? He said, start screaming when you're headed, when you're being headed to the guillotine. And I said, okay, yeah. man. <laughs> and so yeah. it, it, that's dramatic. I, I know, which is part sure. of my personality, but it, it, it is that, that kind of thing where we have to talk about these things and, and, and men yeah. doing this hard work of church planting and leading churches, all yeah. these things we've talked about, whether it's polity and so on and so forth. Yeah. We need to say these things. The, the reality is, is that the, Head of Acts 29, Brian Howard, once told me that if you want to look at how to not run a church from a ecclesiological 
kind of system, how to not do it, look at an Acts 29 church. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And that's yeah. not being addressed. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to kind of wrap things up here because I know it's been a, 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 about an hour. Um, and for the sake of our, you know, I don't want to get accused of false advertising with our our our, our podcast title being God a minute. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, I, I've I've described as I've tried to understand Acts 29, you know, and what they are. You know, I've, I've thought of it as Southern Baptist with skinny jeans. You know, it's like Southern Baptist, but like cooler jargon and marketing. Um, and, and one of the dangers I think that we're seeing as, as you, as we're talking about this is that, is that kind of the, the innovation and the coolness, you know, in, in X 29, um, part of that is, 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 um, you know, um, who was it that said rich that, that, uh, the battle, the, the, you know, culture wars are basically a fight over, you know, who gets to control the dictionary. I can't, I, well, I know Wilson has said it. I don't know. Yeah, I know Doug said it a bunch of times. Yeah, Maybe it's him. Yeah. Well, I think that's. I, I think what's happened is, in, in an effort to be relevant and cool and different, um, they've defined their own terms: missional and gospel-centered, and 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 some of these terms that the jargon that you guys use. The problem is that is that they they're their own words, and they can kind of fill them with whatever meaning they want to, you know. And so they sound biblical, and they sound um, legitimate, but as you, as they start applying them over time, because it's, they're, they're controlling the, the, the language, they're controlling the definitions of these words. They get to kind of move the goalposts over time to where missional used to mean leading people to, to repent of their sin and come to Jesus. Right. And it's become compromised more and more with the culture so that you can be relevant. And, and how did that happen? Well, it happened because they, they defined words and they get to control the, the definition of those words. So anyway, I thought that was a, a worthwhile point to, 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 to bring up and you're welcome to, to, to respond to that, um, before yeah. we wrap up, but I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I just want to make very clear that I've never worn skinny jeans. Okay, good. If, if here's anything on this podcast. I, I have never owned a pair of skinny jeans. Uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I, I, I prefer wearing cowboy boots. And um, if your boots are tight and they're not long, I mean, if your pants are tight and not long enough to go around the boots, you should not be wearing those pants. Amen, so brother. just Amen. clarification on that um, there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is true. And at the end of the day, I, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. We, we are trying to define and create new things. And yeah. that's just not needed. It's not needed. Yeah. It's already been done. Men, yeah. Great men have come before us who've done the hard work of defining yeah. these things. Whether you start in the patristic era, you know, with the Christological controversy and all of these things, that, that work's been done. Those terms and definitions are there. And yeah. we need to be informing church planners as to that reality. And what we're doing is it feeds into this thing. This is a greater thing. So if you're looking at any denomination, any network, anything like that, well, why are so many men burning out? It's because they feel like they have to be innovative all the time. And they get Mm -hmm. on this kind of like this, you know, hamster wheel of I have to create the next best thing week in, week out, week in, week out. We have got to create a new ministry. And I I, I joke and I tell pastors all the time coming to Boulder, I was like, if I was planting again, Man, I, we'd have very simple 
music. We would, you know, uh, Sunday school. I mean, I, I'd almost go as back because it's just exhausting. And I'm afraid yeah. that we're wearing our men down with this innovation idea. And we yeah. don't have to do that. And then we get in trouble when we start creating these new structures. And particularly when we create them without um, proper oversight. That's where I think Acts 29's made its kind of fatal flaw. And that stems from, if you want to know how things are developed, you look back to the beginning with Driscoll early on saying, denominations are dead and networks are the future. Mm -hmm. And look at us now. I mean, time yeah. proves uh, what yeah. is true. Yeah. Well, that's a that's probably a good place to stop, um, Matt. I know that I know that um, this has been a, a, a I'm sure a, a, a difficult time for you, but also a, an, an opportunity to learn, to grow, um, and and I, I'm encouraged to hear you uh, think through these things and 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 to, to see how this is um, this is steering you perhaps back to old roads, you know, returning to old roads, returning to scripture, returning to um, uh, the, uh, the, the men uh, of the faith who have come before us and have, have, have done the work, you know, to, to guide, to help guide and direct the church towards, um, faithfulness to, um, to her King. Um, and so, um, I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity. I think that lays before you and, and the well there in Boulder. I think you guys, um, you guys are probably on the cusp of a, of a, of an exciting new era uh, for the church. And I pray that, that God would bless you guys um, as you, uh, as you navigate that. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. We'll, we'll take all the prayers and that we can get. So, well, thanks for coming on the show and uh, thanks for joining us here on uh, God a minute. Uh, it's been a, it's been a fun hour. If, if people want to find you, I know that uh, I know that um, your co-pastor Chase had a conversation on on a podcast. I think that was Conversations That Matter. Is that right? Yeah, he did. And then and then, how do people find you guys? And if if you're in the Boulder area and you're looking for a church that's yeah. been recently kicked out of Acts twenty nine, uh, <laughs> where, where where should they find you? Yeah, if you, if you want to run with a with a bunch of renegades, you can uh, find us. Just go to our website. It's just boulderwell.org. You can go there. Uh, awesome. You know, you can find us there. You can hit me up on social media. Um, all my handles are just MattPat1. Um, my name is Matt Patrick, so MattPat1. And shoot me a message. I'm, I'm happy to help you even find a good church if you're looking for one. Um, we've got a lot of friends in the church planning world that are doing great things. And so happy to help people any way that I can. That's great, man. Well, I, you know, I, I said this to you on the phone the other day. I think, I think the Lord's going to expect you to return a, a profit on this. And I think part of that, a big part of that's going to be your you're, you're sort of, uh, God has basically given you the responsibility of helping, um, others who are having the same difficulties and challenges and questions. You know, you're, you're kind of the guy right now, uh, for them to come talk to and think through all this stuff with. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a, a lot of uh, work to do there. Um, but excited for you, man. Thanks. Yeah. And if any guys ever are interested in planting in Colorado, we've got a great training residency program and that's our focus right now is not, Big, just focusing on planting great churches, um, hopefully starting schools, all that good stuff across the state of Colorado. So we'd be happy to help anybody. Praise God. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Good, good having you on the show. Thanks, guys. 
The God a Minute podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might also like The Good Life Podcast, where Matt Carpenter interviews historians, philosophers, authors, and more about how their work contributes to a good life.